Good evening. I'm Amelia, and tonight on the Gay Anarchist Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association, we'll be discussing A Room with the View's gayer, younger brother, Maurice. And tonight, I will be joined by two of my finest comrades who went to school at some place I'd never be able to afford on my miserly income. First up, he's made the Dean's List twice, if you know what I mean. It's NATO. Hi, I'm Nato Kitsch, and my major was translating men's literature so that women may understand it when it's read to them. And you can find my extremely decent new musical album on Spotify. Well, actually, that's quite a noble endeavor, my dear friend. Um, next up, you can probably find them after hours playing songs on the pianola, whatever that is. They're a joker, they're a smoker, they're a midnight toker. Of dick. Of dick. Uh, dick. <laughs> it's real! <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Ro Kingsbury, actual name. And I majored in the field which has the highest concentration of rich, entitled white men. Film. <laughs> And you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash sasqueenrow. Well, I feel attacked. I I I feel attacked. (laughs) (laughs) We we do so look forward to uh, discussing at some point your own body of work here on our Big Echo podcast. Maybe I have lose 20 pounds. <laughs> As always, <laughs> our if you have not seen this movie, now would be the time to go and study away before you take this final exam. We will have spoilers, so if you are not a fan of those, watch the movie first and then come back and listen. <clears throat> All right, let's dive right in, shall we? Um... Maurice is a 1987 romance uh, from Merchant Ivory Productions. Um, it was filmed about a year... Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, based on the posthumously published novel by Ian Forrester of the same name. Um, the film follows Morris Hall, uh, an average white dude from the UK, uh, upper-income white dude... Um, and basically his journey into discovering his own sexuality and more importantly, his love affair in the first half with his school chum, um, Clive Durham and in the latter part of the film with his good old school chums, uh, stable boy, uh, Scudder, Alex Scudder. Um, It's basically a Victorian period piece that you could find on PBS, probably. Uh, It has that same feel. Um, Throughout the course of the film, we follow Morris's own journey of kind of rejecting his own sexuality at first, coming to terms with his love for Clive, going through his first breakup, um, and eventually finding love again with Scudder. Um, In the course of this, he at one point tries to get uh, hypnosis to cure his homosexuality. Um, 
but in the end, all ends up well. Um, Clive Durham ends up married, and despite Alex Scudder saying he's going to move to Argentina, um, they end up happily in a boathouse in love forever, uh, essentially. All right, so let's get right playing with their dinghies. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there are four penises (laughs) in this film, so you know. Um, <laughs> That's how you know it's not a PS masterpiece theater piece, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, that's all I got. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> yes, Bye. that's the film. <laughs> all right, that's NATO's one joke of the podcast. <laughs> no, I have two jokes. The other joke is that I'm part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> all right so uh let's get right into it what did y'all think of this film um, this is gonna be a fun episode <laughs> everybody in this film is fucking miserable and it's their own damn fault <laughs> I, I, wouldn't watch this, I, I wouldn't watch this film again but i'd like to see it tried again Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the story is good and interesting, but I feel like nearly all of the execution was just lackluster. Mm-hmm. And I, it, which is weird, because I know people that will fall on swords. You know, they will seppuku "I love you" for this movie. Um, and <laughs> I just like I'm I, I, I'm watching it, and I'm just like, yeah, this is exactly everything I expect from like you know, period piece is like the pacing, the mm-hmm. sort of like the style of acting, the, 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 like the production of it, like the, the sets, uh, the locations are like phenomenal. Uh, but it's just like, it's kind of boring. <clears throat> At least according to me, and I am a horrible human being. So, you know, so, I oh, go ahead. I would love to see this movie done again. Um, I, for some reason, w- I want to like this movie so much, and it's so frustrating to me um, the choices that these characters make, and like the ambiguity of situations, like. What happens to Maurice after he falls in love with the help and, like, basically steals his livelihood from him? What do they do? Do they live off his family's money and just move to Italy? Who the fuck knows? Like, there's there's no real satisfying conclusion to any story in this movie. Which is kind of frustrating. So it's funny you mention that, because in the original novel, in fact, um, that was one of the biggest criticisms that was given to about about the novel. Um, obviously not directly to Liam Forster, because he was already deceased at that time. Um, <clears throat> but there was actually in the original epilogue, or in the original draft of the book, there was an epilogue where Alec and, um, or sorry, where, where Scudder and Maurice go and visit his sister Kitty. Um, and her reaction to them essentially like makes him decide like, yeah, you know what? Like, let's keep this low key and just like go live our lives away from like our family and stuff like that. Um, do you think that the movie would have been better or worse if it had had that originally intended ending? 
I think it would have been longer. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that fully. S- stop. Like, no opinion. <laughs> um, I think... I, I, I think that... Because I'm casually familiar, you know, with Forrester's work. I feel like this doesn't really capture, like, his personality that well. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, the biggest thing for me is it feels like the adaptation played it too safe. Like, because, like, this was written originally at the time when, like, homosexuality, homosexual, like, intercourse and sex, like, that was really, like, actually illegal, you know? And this was written by a guy, a writer, who was, like, actually gay and actually having relationships during this time, and probably slept with more people than anyone on this podcast, let's be honest. He was, he was hot. Um, and uh, and it, wasn't, like, it wasn't published either until a time where homosexuality and same-sex relations were, like, really starting to enter the public discourse. Mm-hmm. And were more, you know, were more accepted compared to being, you know, just flat-out illegal. Like, the trial in um, the movie is absolutely something that is believable to be ha- to have happened, you know? Like... Uh, whether that exact thing and that exact uh, um, sentencing was believable, I can't really tell you because I'm not really that much of an expert on like the time period and the punishments for getting caught having like se- uh, homosexuality encounters, homosexual encounters. But what I can say is that it feels like that is correct. So, if that makes <clears throat> sense, but. But I will say that just because it, this movie feels like it got things correct doesn't mean it feels like it captured the novel. Right. What's the character's name that gets put to the uh, indecent? Risley Risley. I just, I just call him Professor Forehead. Yeah, Professor Forehead is a very ass right. name. He, um. <laughs> he was nowhere near, like discreet at all one <laughs> like at I, the very opening of the movie wasn't that him that was like i have a dining mm-hmm. club with members so, whom you might find interesting one thing about risley's character is that and i think this they kind of did a, an okay job at portraying this in the film um but that character is supposed to just kind of be like the pinnacle of privilege in the novel he is in fact uh I believe that's the Dean. Um, yeah, but he's the Dean's cousin. Um, and I think when he goes to trial in the film, he actually gets like a lesser sentence because they flat out say like, you know, Oh, we would hate to see this. The, the fact that your life is going to be ruined from this is enough. So like, you're going to get kind of a lesser sentence. Um, do you all think that it would have better captured the spirit of the novel, which did kind of, have a lot of class tied into it. Um, do you think the the film would have captured the the essence of the novel or the essence of the Enforcer a little better with that class commentary going a little bit further with the Risley character? I'm gonna say yes. 
I I can't say for sure because I'm probably the one person on this podcast who has not read the novel. I know. I, I, I haven't read the novel like either. Right I've now. just read. <laughs> I have not read the novel. I've just read other works by Forrester. Yeah. So um, I I couldn't really say, but I feel like outside of Riesley's character, there is a lot of kind of class commentary going on. That was the. That was part of the original thing with Scudder, because Scudder is supposed to be like the relationship between Scudder and Maurice is supposed to be very scandalous because of the fact that Maurice is like upper class and he's, you know, from working class. I feel like it would have been more interesting because like going back to the trial scene, that was like the... (sighs) the turning point for Clive as far as like, you know, reputation was everything and stuff uh, that he was, you know, and um, I think if they had done more with like establishing a lot of the, uh, the class system or how things were seen because especially like earlier on, we don't really, to my, to my recollection, we don't really get to, have like an intimate knowledge of like where their families are as far as like mm-hmm. class um, until probably about like 30, 40 minutes in. Is yeah. that correct? When, when Maurice ditches school and you start to meet everybody's families you and you hear Hugh Grant straight up say, Oh, you must come. <laughs> and you're like, oh his his home his home has a name. Pendersley right? Park. You, but, you Yeah, you know but, shit's about to get serious. But I would love <laughs> to see like a, a drama sizable dowries are to be had. <laughs> I, I would love to see a drama around the time that was more focused on the effects of closeted uh, gay men within a class structure mm-hmm. like that uh, when homosexuality when homosexuality was illegal and go further because we don't really get I, I didn't get the sense that like his family actually cared that much as long as like he wasn't caught doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a scene, the first scene. Uh, I'm gonna call him Scuttles because that's a cute Scuttle name. Bug. Uh, so there's there's a first scene with like Scuttles, uh, uh, like sleeps with Maurice, and like uh, goes off, and the butler's like, "Oh, there's mud there," and like wink, wink, but he doesn't like do anything about it. Like it's just like it's like it's like I don't care if you have the gay sex, you know, kind of thing, you know, as long as like no one finds out about it, because I think the whole thing, especially including the trial was, this is all about perception. This is all about your, um, what you call it? Your mm. fuck. What was your reputation? <laughs> your reputation. Yeah, this is all about your reputation, and as long as they aren't, you know, destroying the reputation of the family, I don't, it, I, I didn't get the sense that they cared either way. Whereas, like in an actual class structure, uh, we have like examples of people being like completely shunned for far lesser things than you know the evils of homosexuality, like how dare they wear those pants or something. I think that. I think adding more information to the families and the family dynamics would have strengthened this movie a lot 
because one of the things that I think kind of makes this movie really boring for me is that Hugh Grant Clive doesn't seem to have enough to work with and Maurice's character seems to be stretched way too thin with ideas to actually be focused in and have like a definitive sort of voice and character and I feel giving it's compare it to a portrait of a lady currently on fire um that is a joke for twice upon a time by the way that's not I, I know the title of the film portrait of a lady on fire we look at it we look at the main characters we know almost from like the first scenes what their setups are first character she's a painter uh she, she's come here to do what men have not been able to do um and she takes her job really seriously um second person is she's she's getting married against her will she doesn't want a portrait made because she doesn't want a reminder of that she's basically property now because that's what it symbolizes and she has trouble trusting people we get those characters and we know from there it's kind of where they're coming from with their actions with these characters, they're kind of like we either don't have enough information to fully address where some of uh, where some of their actions come from, or we have so much information it's hard to pin down. The best example is after the trial, Clive's quote unquote sickness. Like we don't really get the sense because there hasn't really been any like sort of punishment to him for his love affair to make him sort of act this way if there was beforehand or uh, even like a mention of it like maybe you know oh tee hee hee like some boyhood experimentation that got like slapped down by his father it would make a lot more sense but to me like there's not a lot to really form those actions no, I think you you make a really good point. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find a quote that I can't find now. Sorry, I didn't say anything because I was reading the Wikipedia page of Portrait uh, of the Lady on Fire. I wasn't here for that episode. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> You should go listen to it. It's one of our episodes. If you want it. <laughs> I should go listen to it. You're right. <laughs> and if you if you listeners haven't listened to it, you should go listen to it too. It was a great it conversation. Sure was. Feminism <laughs> and and lighting ladies on fire. Um, there Flamers, there as they're called. There was a point um, I wanted to make uh, from going back to the beginning of what you were saying um, in the beginning of all that, uh, which was the quote I was looking for that I can't find right now in the novel. I thought I highlighted it, but I didn't. There's a point where Maurice is back in the school and he looks at everyone and he starts to realize that he's a real person and that other people are real people and that they're not all just pretending to be cardboard cutouts 
of normalcy, essentially. Um, <clears throat> and now I can't remember what the point was that you made that made me think of that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Ro, what are your thoughts on that? I'm trying not to like take over the conversation with my own input and more like <laughs> lead the conversation. But yeah, Ro, no. what are your thoughts on the balance? No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm, en- I'm enjoying listening to you too. I think so. Here's am- the thing. So in the novel, um, <laughs> I feel like Clive, and to full disclaimer, I didn't actually fully finish the novel, but I did get a decent amount of the way through. Um, but in the novel, I accused. <laughs> I feel like in the novel, Clive and Maurice are almost like foils to each other in the sense that Clive really helps to bring out a side of Maurice that is very focused on like normalcy and um, keeping this facade of being like this completely average upper class man like upper class Christian man, you know, and Clive is very instrumental to that in the novel. You know, Clive is the one that really pushes him to start thinking about his religion and analyzing like what his beliefs are. Clive is the one that really pushes him to, you know, on his back, as they call it, uh, explore more of like the Greek symposium and like these, uh, these kind of homoerotic or, you know, more, uh, scandalous kind of like works outside of his school reading. Like he really pushes him to explore himself more. Um, and I think. Yeah. Clive at the beginning of the movie is so different. From yeah. Clive at the end of the movie. He is, but that's the thing. And I think, so <clears throat> Clive, I think on the other hand with Maurice gets a softness brought about him. Um, kind of, like, gets grounded a lot more. I think Maurice is very grounding to Clive. And I think in the film, like, there is some aspect of that there, but, like, it's not really, like, a driving force in their attraction to each other and, like, in their tension. Um, and I think that would have brought a lot yeah. more balance to the film think- to really, like, show that dynamic yeah. as opposed to just long scenes of think- the hairbrushing. Clive, I think, gets the shit scared out of him and then tries to hold Maurice at arm's length while keeping him as close as possible. Yeah. Right? He's trying to he's trying to have the best of both worlds in his relationship with Maurice. The comf- the comfort of having him there as that grounding presence without the hassle of homosexual attraction, whereas Maurice is not built like that. You know what and I mean? You know what that you know what that's called, right? It's called healthy <laughs> male friendships. Healthy I don't know her. <laughs> I, I want a Harry think, Met Sally. I don't think is this friendship a, was healthy at all. <laughs> is there a Harry Met Sally, but it's just Harry Met Harry? Um, like movie where like the th- the thing is like can two gay men be friends without having sex? No. <laughs> oh my god! Can we make this? I'd be an amazing movie. <laughs> can we can we make that? I know we I know we say this about every movie idea that we come up on this podcast. But I'm so down for that this movie. <laughs> I think I think but, the yeah. Go ahead. Go. 
I think... I, I, I think, like, I feel... There's a part of me that would prefer if this movie was from the perspective of Clive, because I think Clive is a much more interesting character. Um, especially since it's kind of, I, 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 it's like, it's like a, a better, uh, a better heading mm-hmm. into Brokeback kind of mentality where, you know, he's gay, like Heath Ledger, he gets scared like Heath Ledger, he gets married like Heath Ledger, but he still has feelings for the other person. But we're actually seeing it sort of like through a period piece lens where they're actively able to mm-hmm. actually this is just broke back, never mind. So wait, are you Bang. are you saying that Maurice should have been broke back mountain? <laughs> I, I'm saying there's Early a lot of similarities. Early 20th century high society Brokeback Mountain. I just want Brokeback I, Mountain with British I'm accents. That's all wait, I want, I guess. I vaguely remember <laughs> I vaguely remember saying about Brokeback Mountain in our Brokeback episode that Brokeback Mountain is a movie about miserable people who keep making themselves miserable. So that all checks out because that is exactly I'm glad y'all bring this, this up because oh, one gosh. thing that I think stood out to me in this movie is that it seems a lot less to lean into the tragedy porn. Um, you know, whereas Brokeback had, you know, like the, the beating scene, like this, that, and the other thing, this movie focuses a lot more focuses a lot more on the tenderness between the lovers um and it feels more like when you know Clive and Maurice are going through their breakup while it is miserable and there is a tragedy to not being able to be with someone you love i think that that is not something that's necessarily tragedy porn. It's not like, you know, like, oh, look at all this, like, uh, excessive suffering that they have to have. Eventually, both people move on to lives where they are presumably happy. Um, Do y'all feel that this leans a little less on the tragedy porn, or is it still too tragedy porny for y'all? You know what I mean. All thoughts, opinions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I don't really consider this tragedy porn. I mean, you can have a movie about miserable people and not have it be tragedy porn. I mean, um, so when we say tragedy porn, we're talking specifically about that feeling of, oh, look at me, I'm gay. And I have issues, and I'm so sad. And some movies really do lean into that a lot. And I don't think... I mean, obviously, the issues from this movie came about because they are gay men. Although... Clive being gay is debatable since I'd say he seems pretty <laughs> fond of his wife. But um I don't I don't think this really leans into that angle. I think that they uh, 
one of the things that I think is definitely to this movie's credit mm-hmm. is that they lean into it from a more human angle. Where, uh, I mean, if your boyfriend came to you and told you, hey, I know we love each other, but women, right? Let's try being straight from now on for the rest of our lives. And if you're the kind of person that Maurice is, I think you could very believably take it to the point where Maurice Mm -hmm. says the things that he says to his sister. Which, by the way... Oh, yeah, that was so not nice to her, to say to her. I don't think this is tragedy porn, because, like, for me, we're gonna have to, we're probably gonna have to have, like, a symposium uh, to, like, have a general consensus about what tragedy porn means to all of us. Uh, but for me, like, tragedy porn has to have, like, a fall. Like, there has to be, like, a, a, a definitive fall in tone and of character, whether it be, like, literal because the character has died, or, like, fall from grace, uh, uh, have, like, something taken away from them that is very, that's very mm-hmm. impactful to both them and the tone. Um... And so I don't think that there's tragedy porn in this because nothing's really taken away from the characters. In uh, I, I guess I have to say in my opinion because, but like, uh, look at um, a good comparison is a movie we'll look at in the future called A Home at in the End of the World. Spoilers, I hate it. Um, mostly because. Like, you're, you're you expect me to believe Colin Farrell is ugly <laughs> and has and is a virgin at like thirty, and that's just. Like, <laughs> but like, a home at the end of the world uh, stars Colin Farrell and this other, and blonde twinkiness, um, and so they have like uh, an aff- they have a gay affair when they're teenagers and then they kind of grow apart and stuff like that, but the the trauma porn there is that like as the movie goes on. Twinkie McBlonde Blonde um, actually sees Colin Farrell getting with some with other people, mostly women, um, and this causes him distress. This causes him to have sort of like a fall of like his expectations. It impacts him emotionally, from what I remember. I would consider that more trauma porn than this movie because that just doesn't really happen. You. Hugh Hugh Grant has kind of an angry huff when he learns that Scuttlebutt is with Maurice, but like it doesn't. But that's at the very end of the film, you know, and that doesn't really change his perspective on anything. He's still got a wife. He's not gonna leave her. He literally closes the blinds to the outside to keep him and his perspective like closeted, like. There's and he's his relationship with Maurice Maines remains like unchanged throughout that yeah, process, I mean, right? Yeah, they're still friends. They still do stuff together. They play sports together. They visit each other. It's not like this is like a lover coming over to like rub it in his face or anything like that. It's pretty much just like, "Hey friend, I have found love." And him going, "How dare you?" 
close the blinds, blah blah blah. You know, and it's there's right, and and that's kind of it. Like whether it actually ends the, whether that actually ends their friendship or not, that's beside the matter. But there's nothing in this movie to me that I would consider uh, trauma porn because there's nothing really that traumatic in it besides the trial. And even that is very inconsequential because while it affects Clive, it doesn't Right, it really just gives him normal levels of like character. fucking panic. But like it's not Right. <laughs> it's not like he's the one experiencing the trial and the sentence. It it is <laughs> Plus, you can tell straight from the beginning of their relationship that it was doomed to fail. So when Clyde comes to Maurice and says, hey, let's try not being gay for each other anymore so that we can live in society, like, you're you're not surprised. And also, it's understandable that Maurice acts the way he does because he's a jilted lover and he's jealous because he thinks that Clive dumped him for basically a female version of him in his sister like wouldn't wouldn't any of us react the same way I, mean, like I think we think can not. all agree I'd like to think, I think not we, <laughs> I think we can all agree that the only person that is you know uh the the, per, the only person that really makes sense to end up with Hugh Grant is Drew Barrymore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think that I think that's an established fact. Um, that's gay canon now. Uh, <laughs> can we talk about music and lyrics? <laughs> Wait, are you are you saying that Julia Roberts and Notting Hill wasn't like a perfect match? <laughs> I'm saying. I'm saying Hugh Grant got Shakira standing to let him perform a song to get the girl back at her big uh, comeback sh- uh, show. <laughs> and if 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 Julia Roberts could get Shakira to like stop her entire comeback show so that she could play a song for Hugh Grant, I think. Maybe. Okay, here's a question. Is every Hugh Grant movie just comically yes. gay because of how good looking young Hugh Grant is? Yeah. <laughs> he has a queer audience. <laughs> does Hugh Grant know how to close his mouth? <laughs> Not in this movie. I'm oh, very God. worried I'm very worried about it. M- Mr. Grant, if you're out there. I hope you're breathing well. I hope, I hope I hope that you've been to a doctor and you know made sure there's no blockage because I think the worst thing I'm being serious here. I think the worst thing in the world right now is to lose you because of some undiagnosed blockage uh, within your respiratory system. Uh, so please go get that checked out because your mouth can't stay open forever. <clears throat> We or already can. lost Betty All right, White. We la- can't lose you. One last thing I'd like to bring up before we wrap be this all much. up in a nice little bow <laughs> um, is the soundtrack to this film. And particularly the tone set by the song Allegri's Misere Me I Deus. love the soundtrack. Um, 
I love this soundtrack. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought it up because I went on a whole diatribe about this song in my uh, notes for this movie. Which, by the way, it's very appropriate that we talk about this because all, like, two of the church-related people who listen to this podcast will know we are currently entering the season of Lent, and Allegri's Miserere Mei Deus is a setting of a psalm that is basically like, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am a sinner, and I am unworthy. <laughs> I am wicked. Cleanse me. God daddy. Right? <laughs> so the point of this song is that everybody singing it is fucking miserable and needs God to save them. And it is so fitting because they play it right before they have this conversation about how they're really not feeling all right. And then shortly afterwards, uh, Clive confesses his love and from then on, everybody just becomes more miserable. It's the best way to set the tone for a movie that I could have thought of. Not only that, but it is also conceivably, believably placed within the movie as being sung by a boy choir at a church-related school, which... I mean, obviously, would be the people who would sing that sort of music. I I don't nerd out about much, but, like, a good soundtrack will get me every time. I tell you what. <laughs> the sad thing is that those are my exact notes and words as well, verbatim. Uh, <laughs> because I, too, know all about... The songs. Let me tell you about this band called The Residents uh, and The Butthole uh, The Shags. Um, Gibby Hayes, anyone? Uh, in, 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 in the classic what about, what about... Romeo plus Juliet. All right. The shirts. All right, guys. All right, y'all. So what's the Actually, final verdict? Should listen okay. to this. NATO, would you give this movie a perfect 4.0 GPA or are you going to give it academic probation? I'm, I'm going to give some probation. I think it feels like you'd be better off reading the book because there's a lot more content in there. Um, I feel like this is kind of, this movie is more like the cliff notes than the full um the full course meal. Alrighty. Well, I guess uh, I won't be giving you seconds. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Ro, would you, <laughs> Ro, would you write a thesis on this for your PhD in PBS's masterpiece theater? Or are you going to pull the fire alarm so you can get out of class early? Okay. It's complicated. Okay. I really, really want to like this movie. And, I mean, if anybody wants to watch this movie or is, like, prepared to die on a hill for this movie, like, more power to you. Um, I think this movie would have been a lot better if they had made it now. Like, Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice had to happen in order for this movie to be made good. And Zombies. All right. 
Well, that's what we think, but if you've seen this movie or end up watching it later, we'd love to hear your thoughts or experiences with it. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Gayekapod, that's G-A-Y-E-C-A-P-O-D. While you're there, why not suggest a movie for us to watch in the future? We're always looking for more suggestions. We can't wait to experience more movies with you. Bye! Why don't you join us at Pendisley Park? Please go to the boathouse and play with our dinghy. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.